Amen. That's a great song, isn't it? I've been accused in my preaching a lot of times of being stuck on the same spot a lot of times, preaching the same thing over and over again. But uh, hopefully in the end it all turns out all right, just like it did this morning. And we thank you so much for that song. Praise the Lord for that. Open your Bibles now, if you would please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Today we're in our fourth message from 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to look at the last verses, the closing verses of this first chapter. And in these last few verses, Paul is continuing the theme of how God takes things that men count as foolishness, and he used those things for his honor and his glory. If you remember in the last message, last Sunday morning, we were looking at the cross, and it's almost totally incomprehensible to think about this, how that God could take something uh, like the shame of the cross and turn that into uh, really what is the most powerful symbol that the world has ever seen. And of course, it was actually the cross that finally did conquer the Roman Empire. Now, I'm not talking about a military victory, but I'm speaking about how men like the Apostle Paul and the other apostles preached the Word of God. The, the Word spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. And as people were saved, they turned from their sinfulness, and finally, the debauchery of Rome was overthrown. Well, the cross at first was foolishness to the Romans, but they learned just as we have learned, that is the power of the cross that saves people. And we look to the cross as that strong emblem, the symbol of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary. Well, today we're going to look at another type of foolishness. And that is, it seems foolish, the kind of people that God uses to bring honor and glory to him. I think most of you here in church today that you are very interested in serving the Lord. You probably wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in that. And maybe you haven't yet decided exactly how God wants you to do that, but you're interested in it. But one of the things that we do as Christians, we, we just tend to look at other people, those that have more talents than we have, uh, those that can do things better than we do, somebody who sings better, somebody who speaks better, and we begin to make our excuses for why we don't think that we can serve God. If only I could sing like Brother Dalton or Brother Gary or some of the others. If only I could preach like, certainly not me, but some great preacher. But if only I could preach like that, then I could be used by God. And we get caught in this rut and and we look sort of like people of the world look at the great heroes. They think about super businessmen, the great athletes, and they wonder, why can't I be like that? I mean, I would be so much better if I could be like that person. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to God's work, God is not awed by those who are endowed with all kinds of natural abilities. Now, make no mistake about this. God can use talent, but God takes those of us really, most of the time, most often, those of us that are nobodies, and God turns us into somebody's that he can use for his service. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to read from God's word. And we're going to see how that God changes spiritual nobodies into the greatest workers for his kingdom. So if you'd stand with me, please. We're going to read the closing verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading today with verse number 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We just ask you, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts through the message this morning. Help us to understand a little bit better the kind of people that you want to use And as I look over the congregation today, Lord, I think I can truthfully say that these are really the kind of people that you will use. Blessed throughout this message, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I recently heard the story about how that somebody was a nobody, was actually able to become a great influence and had a great impact on people's lives. There was a preacher in uh, the southern part of the United States, a preacher of a very large church, the pastor there, and he decided that he wanted to have a revival meeting. And so in this revival, he wanted to call some very high-impact individuals, some famous people, some that people knew very well, and he wanted them to come in and to give their testimonies throughout this revival. So on the first night of the revival, he called for a, a young man who was a great athlete, He asked him to come in and speak, and he had a really moving testimony. It was a great testimony, and people were interested in that. He also called upon a very notable politician, and he had him come in uh, to speak. And this politician told about how God had touched his life and how that he had dedicated much of his life in, in, in considering legislature to look at things with a Christian influence. And on each successive night of this revival, he continued to call in these people, the high-impact people with great testimonies, and uh, he had those, those people speak to his congregation. Well, it was the last night of the revival, and he didn't really have anyone, not one of those high-impact individuals. He didn't know who to call on, and so he called a young lady that he knew that was over in the next town. She was a handicapped girl, and she had learned to play the piano. So he called her, this young lady was wondering why he would ever ask her to come, but he called her to come and speak to the church. Well, she came to the church on that particular night, and um, the pastor thought, well, this is not the way to end the revival. I mean, uh, we've had all these high-impact individuals, We've, we've had these folks that were famous and had great testimonies, and this is really going to be a letdown on this night to have this girl come. But he decided that's all he could do, so she did come to the church, and on that night, she played the piano in just uh, just a beautiful manner. But she began to talk to people, and she talked about how that God had touched her life. She told about how that she grew up very poor. Uh, She told about how she came from an abusive family. And she talked about how she had this handicap and what a, a, a terrible thing that that was. But she also talked about how God had saved her, God touched her life, and how that she decided that she was going to dedicate her life, not with these natural talents that she was, had been given, but she would take everything that God had given her and she would use it to her best ability in the service of the Lord. And it was said on that last night of the revival that all of the people, right down to the very last one, said that that was the greatest night of the revival. This young lady really touched these people's hearts. 
Well, in this revival meeting, it wasn't the most famous people. It wasn't the people with a high impact. It wasn't the rich and famous people. It wasn't the star athlete that really spoke to the hearts of the people in the greatest way. But it was this young, handicapped girl who just wanted to be used for God. And why, why I'm telling you that today is because I want you to see that as a, a, an ordinary everyday Christian, that sometimes you may not even be aware of the kind of impact that you have on other people's lives. And God can take you, even if you don't have great talents, and even if you're not rich and you're famous, but God can take you and he can use you in his service. Now today I want to talk to you about the kind of people God can use. Now God doesn't often take the big name person. Now it's really... Not the way that God usually works, to use those kinds of people. But God takes common, ordinary people just like you and me, and he uses us in his service. So let's begin this morning by talking about God's plain people. God's plain people. Well, in verse number 26, in the first part of verse 27, Paul writes, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty... Not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things. In those preceding verses, Paul was talking about the the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. And he chose us that God chose this message, the message that the world rejects, and he used that. But not only does he use the foolishness of the preaching of the cross, but he also takes foolish messengers in order to tell the people of the world about it. And when you take this foolish message and you combine it with foolish messengers, that's when the power of God is released. Now, that's exactly the opposite of what we would think. If we were in charge of things, if we were going to get the word out, get the message out, we would choose the most influential people. It would be on our minds to choose the person who has the most talent and the most abilities. That would be the people that we would use. But that's not what God does. In verse number 27 of of this verse, uh, of this chapter, the Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things. And you really need to wrap your head around that word foolish because it's translated from the same word from which we get moron. Isn't that strange? God has chosen morons. You may not want to think about yourself that way. But we look at that and we may get a misconception of the word and we might think, well, I really don't need to worry about things. I really don't need to worry about bettering myself. I don't need to worry about learning about the Bible because God can use me as dumb and as ignorant as I am. Well, that's certainly not what Paul is trying to tell us here. God may choose you in ignorance. That might be true. But it's God's goal to change you from a nobody into a somebody. And so God is going to fix you up so he can use you to your maximum potential in his service. I want you to notice some things about Paul's statement here. The first thing that really stands out to us is that God said, not many rather than not any. Anybody here in the room today that's rich and famous? Oh, I don't see anybody rich and famous today, but... Thank the Lord for this, that God did not say he doesn't use any of those kinds of people. He says, not many who are mighty, not many who are noble. He says, not many and not any. There was a lady in England who was from very fine nobility. She had a great pedigree. 
One day she stood up in her church and she said, Thank God that I was saved by an M. And she quoted this verse. And thank the Lord that there is an M in front of that word any. God doesn't use many of these folks, but he doesn't say not any. And, and, and really the truth of the matter is that God will use any person. Any person who comes to him, he'll save anybody who puts their faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is, rich or poor, famous or not, that doesn't matter. God can use people. So we need to get this out of the way first. I mean, God doesn't exclude everybody that's rich and famous. Now, the second thing that we note here about God's plain people is that there is no excuse for laziness and mediocrity. It's true, God chooses people who aren't wise, but God doesn't want us to stay that way. You see, there is a wisdom that God has, a wisdom in things that God does, and you just have to be trained to see and to accept God's wisdom. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. He said, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see, when you understand what God's will is, that's when you become wise. Well, in the past, and really there are some today, even among preachers, who, who think that um, it's really not important to study the Word of God, that it's not important that we better ourselves about through reading what God's Word has to say and to use the different tools that God has given us to learn more about Him. In fact, in, in some denominations, this still goes on today, that the leadership in the churches is against anyone getting an education for ministry. There was one person who stood up in one of these denominational meetings and he began to pray. And he, he prayed this way, he said, God, I thank thee that I am ignorant. I ask thee that thou wouldest make me ignoranter. Well, the guy who got up next said, brother, that was a prayer that was answered before it was ever prayed. You see, just because God can't, can't, can use people in this way or takes people that aren't wise doesn't mean that you really shouldn't study to improve yourself. We need to do that. We may not be wise as God chooses us, but God wants us to learn something about him. But here's the real truth that I want you to understand about this particular part of the passage today, and that is that God changes the ordinary into the extraordinary. You see, when God chooses you, it, it may very well be true that you're just an ordinary person, but when you've been chosen by God, you won't stay ordinary. Now, with God, your relationship with him is more important than your scholarship. Your faith is more important than your fame. And your availability is more important to God than your ability. And that's because God can take your... He, he takes your relationship with him. He takes your faith. He takes your availability, and God uses that in his service, and he does great things with it. Now, one of the greatest examples that we have in all of the Bible, where God took somebody that was ordinary and turned him into somebody that was extraordinary, was with John the Baptist. You remember that the Bible tells us that there was not a greater person that was born into the world, except for the Lord Jesus Christ himself, than John the Baptist. But if you look at John the Baptist, what do we know about him? He had no formal education. He had no training to go into any kind of profession. He came from an obscure family. He had no money at all. And for goodness sakes, doesn't the Bible even say that he ate grasshoppers for breakfast? 
I suppose he was like the, the motorcycle rider who had bugs between his teeth. And that's the way that, that uh, John the Baptist looked. Well, still Jesus said about him, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. You know what that tells us? It tells us that everything that John the Baptist was, he had to give credit to God. Because God was the one who made John the Baptist into the kind of man that he was. God was the one who, in his power, enabled John the Baptist to be used. You ever seen people who get up in church and they've come to sing a special before the church and they begin to apologize for their performance even before they start? Maybe a person needs to apologize if they really haven't prepared themselves for it, if they haven't practiced, but you never apologize for what God has called you to do. You stand up and you do it because you're doing that in God's power. You never have to apologize for anything that God is in. You don't apologize for God. I love this, this song that uh, I don't think we've sung it around here much, but the song is little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. And that is so true. Just go in the power of Jesus and don't rely upon your own strength. Well, you know, there's some things that I've noticed about professional gospel singers. And we talk about people in the church, but what about professional gospel singers? I like to go to things like Gaither concerts. How many of you know who Bill Gaither is? Well, some of you do. I like to go to Gaither concerts. And when you go there, they have a whole lot of of high-energy, paid-performing gospel singers. And these folks are really good. I mean, the harmony is excellent. They hit every note perfectly. But when you get right down to it, the influence of those kind of people really doesn't amount to very much. But you take a saint of God who's singing in his heart and singing to the very best of their ability in the church, and they sing a song that glorifies God rather than glorifying the entertainer, that's the kind of thing that really touches your heart. And so God takes ordinary people, and in his power, they become extraordinary. So you don't have to think about, can I be a singer? Can I be a worker? Can I be somebody in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association? And if I can do that, I can be a great person that will be used by God. You never have to worry about that because you can be a person right here in little bitty Berean Baptist Church and you can be a person that's greatly used by God to impact other people. Now, there's a second thing I want you to notice today about this scripture and this is God's perplexing plan. Why does God do this? Why, Why does God choose in the way that he does? Well, let's go on reading in verse number 27. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I want to tell you something that I say to the shame of our church. Some years ago, there was a statement that was made to me that I simply could not agree with. The statement was made to me, that we need to stop trying to reach all of the people that are around Brian Baptist Church. What we really need to do is to go into the wealthy neighborhoods, and let's begin on concentrate, concentrating on bringing those people into the church. Well, I would tell you that I'm all in favor of reaching wealthy people for the Lord, but we are never going to do that to the exclusion of poor people or middle-class people. We want everybody to come to know the Lord. 
But there are some pastors who stand up in their, and, and in their exasperation, they say, well, I'm just going to have to do the best with this feeble group that I have. Well, wait just a minute here. Here's the thing about this. God did not end up with these kind of people. God didn't end up with you. God chose you. You're not the dregs. God chose you. He he intentionally chose you to do his work. So God chose all these kinds of people. It was his intention all along. So I can say about this, God did not end up with me. God chose me. Now let me show you something why God has such a perplexing plan. First, God chooses fools to shame the wise. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now, the world calls us fools, but one thing everybody would have to admit is that we fools, we Christians, we've had a mighty impact on the world, haven't we? Fools have made an impact on this world. Many of you have probably heard the story of Dwight L. Moody. Uh, Dwight Moody was a preacher from the 19th century who had a huge impact in both America and Europe. Among many of the fundamental Baptist churches, I mean, they put Dwight L. Moody right up there next to God. I mean, just one step below God. Well, if Dwight Moody were alive today, I mean, the truth were told, if he were alive today, most of these preachers would not even let him speak from their pulpits. That, that's the truth of it. And I don't mention Dwight Moody today because I agree with all of his theology or agree with all of his methodology because I don't. But it can't be denied that he had a great impact on people. D.L. Moody started out as a shoe salesman. He had no formal education. He was never, all the time that he was in the ministry, he was never ordained in the ministry, and yet God used him in a mighty way in revival campaigns. One time, D.L. Moody was called upon to speak to the prestigious Cambridge University. That wouldn't happen today. They don't call in preachers today to speak to to, to Cambridge. But here he is at prestigious Cambridge University with all these educated people. And Dwight Moody made a statement like this. He said, don't ever think God don't love you because he do. And his grammar was just atrocious. But you know what God did? There were many of those educated people that sat there that listened to his message and they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what that shows us? It shows us that the power of preaching is not in the person who speaks. It's not in the eloquent delivery that a preacher might have. The power is in the very message that's preached. That's the thing that brings people to the Lord. That's why I don't give those 30-minute invitations. I don't tell tear-jerking stories. The power is in the Word of God. This Word, this message that the world calls foolishness, that's the very thing that's taken by the Holy Spirit of God and in His power, He convicts the heart. And so when somebody gets saved, it's not because of me, it's in spite of me. I'm weak, but God is strong. I could never persuade anybody to believe. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now God... God's plan is to take fools and shame the wise. And so what God can do, he can break down a stubborn heart. I mean, God can take somebody who has been educated not to believe in him, someone who really thinks that this message of the cross is truly foolishness, and God can take that person, he can break their stubborn will, break down their resistance to where they come to Jesus Christ in faith. 
God shames the wise. And folks, if it weren't that way, there's nobody that would get saved. The Holy Spirit has the power to break us down to where we come to him in faith. Well, what else does God do in this perplexing plan? God chooses weaklings to shame the strong. Has anybody ever been to a church service where where they called in a strong man or they called in a wrestler to do a demonstration? There are churches that do that. I mean, they, they call in folks like that and have them come in and give their testimonies. There are lots of churches, or some of them at least, that are big on things like karate demonstrations. And they use those things in order to attract a crowd. And they bring people in that way. I've always thought that the gospel is sufficient for us. And I've never had any interest at all in turning the church into a a, a place that we put on a show. I believe in preaching the gospel of Christ. And we're here to preach the word. But you may have been in a church where they did this. Where they called in a power team. Or they called in a strong man. And that's because they think that those kinds of people are the most effective for God. If I can put on the demonstration, if I can show this great and powerful person, and if I hear their testimony, let them tell about how they were saved, this great person, then that'll have the most impact on people. Well, the truth of the matter really is that God has to work harder to use that kind of person, to use the person in that power team. He has to work harder there than he does to use the weak. And you know why? It's because before God can ever use that person, he has to peel away all of those layers of pride before he ever gets to that weakling that's underneath. But when God starts out with you, the weak person, he's already got you right where he wants you. And before you're ever going to be used by God, you have to admit that everything that you are and everything that you do is done in his strength and not yours. That's the person that God uses. Well, we have examples of this in Scripture. One of these examples we're going to talk about in a, a next Sunday night as we talk about the fall of Jericho. When you think about Jericho, we know the story. Uh, why was it that the walls of Jericho fell? Was it because of the onslaught of of Joshua's superior forces and his army that caused those walls to fall? Was it because that Joshua set up battering rams and he built ramps up to take the city and knock the walls down? No. The walls of Jericho fell when the trumpets sounded and the people shouted. And there were people that were standing upon that wall, the soldiers that were watching everything going on. And I'm sure they thought, this could never happen to Jericho. These walls are impregnable. They can't fall. But they were greatly surprised when they heard the trumpets blowing and the people shouting because those walls began to crumble right beneath their feet. God was taking something so insignificant, just trumpets and shouting, but faith in God that caused those walls to fall. But I suppose the biggest weakling that ever defeated a superior foe was with David. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17 for just a moment. We know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, David was just a young boy when he defeated Goliath, and Goliath was the mighty champion of the Philistines. David, as you know, was visiting the camp of Israel, visiting the Israelite army, because he'd gone there to bring some food for his brothers. And when he came into the camp, he heard something going on out there. There was this man out there, and he was shouting at the armies of Israel. And he was making fun of Israel's God. 
Here was this man out there. He was nine and a half feet tall, and he challenged Israel to send out a man to fight with him. And he said, I'm going to fight with you. You send out a man to fight, and if, if he defeats me, then we will become your servants. But if I defeat him, you will become our servants. Well, there wasn't a man in Israel who would go out and fight him. Even Saul, who was Israel's giant, so to speak, he wouldn't fight him. The Bible tells us that Saul stood head and shoulders above all the rest of the people. He was a really standout guy. But when this Philistine, this, this, this giant came calling, Saul was ducking. Well, David heard all this was going on. And when David came to the camp, he was probably a young man, only about 17 years old. And he was wondering, why does nobody go out there to respond and fight with that giant? And there wasn't anybody who would fight. So what did David do? Well, David offered his services. You know, I've always wondered about this. Why did these men of Israel trust David to do their fighting for them? I mean, why wouldn't they at least give themselves a fighting chance? Here you've got this giant out here. And if he defeats the guy that we send out, we're going to have to serve the Philistines. So at least give ourselves a fighting chance. I mean, send out the best guy that we got. Send out the strongest one. Send out a mighty warrior. Send somebody who's experienced and let him go fight the giant. But you know, the men of Israel didn't do that. They trusted their fate to a 17-year-old boy. So David went out to fight. But before he did, he stopped by the brook and he chose five smooth stones... Stones that were just perfect to put into a slingshot. And he went face to face with that giant. Well, when David went out there, the giant Goliath was offended by that. And he said, what do you mean sending out this little kid out of this puny little runt to fight against me? I'm going to tear him limb from limb. I'm going to feed his flesh to the birds. Well, David also had a boast. But David wasn't boasting about what he could do. He boasted about what his God could do. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, this is what David said. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Well, we all know what happened next. David took that sling He took one of those five stones out of his pouch. He put it in the sling and he began to whip that thing around his head and he let it go. And with just like a a smart bomb, Holy Spirit guided precision, that rock struck that giant right in the forehead and Goliath came crushing down to the ground, flat on his face. Then David ran up to him, showed that he was a young man who really knew how to get ahead. And so he took the giant's sword and he cut off his head and he killed him. Well, what, what's that all about? Let's think about it for just a moment. What if Saul was the one who killed the giant? Who would have received the glory if Saul had done this? Well, if Saul had killed the giant, we'd still be singing the praises of Saul today. I mean, for Saul, 
If he went out and fought this enemy, he was a warrior himself. He was an experienced fighter. It wouldn't be too much of a stretch, would it, for him to somehow overcome this giant? And we'd be singing his praises. But what about David? What about a 17-year-old boy with no military experience, a scrawny little runt? What about David? Well, what did David do? He did exactly what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. God chooses weak things of the world to shame the strong. So this is what God's plan includes. It includes fools to shame the wise and weaklings to shame the strong. Now, here's the third thing that God's plan does. God chooses nobodies to shame the big shots. Let's look at verse number 28. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Now, what he's talking about there is these big shot people, people who really think they're something, God brings them down. Now, when you look to see who God chooses, you can put up your book of who's who. Because you may want to be in the book of who's who, but when God chooses his people, he picks up the book of who's not. And I'm not talking about people who got their names misspelled in the bulletin. I'm talking about people who couldn't even get their names in the bulletin. Those are the people that God uses. So God brings out this list of nobodies and he uses them to shame the celebrities and to shame the big shots. When you get to heaven, I seriously doubt that you're going to see Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch in heaven. That's probably not going to happen. Heaven is going to be filled, folks, with God's choice of ordinary, common people just like you and me. But you know something about it? Each one of those people that God chooses has a special place in his heart. All because of Jesus, all of us nobodies who trust in him, we will be somebody in heaven. Well, let's look at one more thing very quickly. God uses plain people to carry out his perplexing plan. And in this, we see God's perfect purpose. What's God doing when he chooses plain, ordinary people? Well, the answer is in verses 29 through 31. Why does God choose these? Well, verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Would you read that with me? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Then he goes on, he says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who has made, who of God has made in us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So first, what is God's purpose? His purpose is to rebuke our pride, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, God doesn't want somebody to stand up and say, look what a great job that I did. God chooses people that are so plain, so ordinary, so physically ungifted, that when they stand up, they will say, I want you to see what God did. God chooses people that when all is said and done, he's the one who receives the glory. But don't we have people in church who want to receive the glory? Have you ever seen people in church who do want to say, look what I did? And they want people to see who they are. There are a lot of big shot preachers like that. Look what I did. You know, they're like that woodpecker who landed on that 300 foot tall redwood tree. He's there on the redwood tree and he's pecking away. And all of a sudden, bolt of lightning comes and splits that tree right in half. 
knock the woodpecker clean off the tree. So the woodpecker's laying on his back on the ground. He shakes himself and he stands up and looks there and says, Look what I did. And that's what a lot of people do. God doesn't want you thinking, Look what I did. He chooses plain, ordinary, common people. So we'll say, Look what God did. You ever done that? Have you ever said to anybody, Look what I did? Well, remember what both James and Peter said. And perhaps they both said this because they wanted to really emphasize it. They said, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So God's plan is so perfectly devised that there is no room for you to glory. God deserves all the glory. What is God's purpose? Well, secondly, to realize our source of power. Verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made into us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, look at those four words in the second half of that verse. Is this you? No, it's not. It's Christ. It says Christ is made into us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So is that your wisdom? Is it your righteousness? Is it your sanctification? Is it your redemption? Not at all. You have all of those things because God gave them to you. God's the source of this power. Now, when you start thinking about spiritual things, you have no power in that realm. In the spiritual world, you have no power at all. You have no ability there. No ability unless God gives it to you. You see, there's an unseen world out there. It's more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You can't see this world. You can't touch it. You can't do anything about it. The only way that you're going to deal in the spiritual realm is by God's power working through you. What does the Bible say? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why does the devil flee from you? Is he afraid of you? Does he look down there at super saint David, and say, I'm scared to death of that fellow. He's not scared of David. He's not scared of me or you. But what he is scared of is the Holy Spirit's power working through us. That's because the devil can't fight against the Holy Spirit. He has no ability against God. That's where we have to put our trust. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So you need to realize the source of your power because you may not fully understand that. You may not know where it comes from. Realize that source. Well, then finally, why does God work in this way? What's God's purpose? Well, here's his purpose, to render unto him praise. Verse 31, that according as it is written... He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So all of the praise, all of the honor, all the glory goes to God alone. And if you accomplish anything for God, if God does anything in your life, don't you forget to stop and give God the glory for that. Honor him, praise him, because he did it all. So do you see what God's doing here? What is God's perfect plan? Well, here it is. God has effectively taken away all of your excuses. You have no excuse not to serve God because God's the one who gives the power. So you may say, well, I, I can't sing like Frank Sinatra. I can't sing like, heaven forbid, Barbara Streisand. I can't sing like her. I can't teach the Bible like John MacArthur. I can't preach like Billy Graham or like Charles Stanley. Well, here's the truth about it. You don't have to. 
You don't have to because God is the one who supplies the power. You don't have an excuse. So I want to ask you today, Christian, what is your excuse? What have you been hiding behind all this time? Why aren't you serving God? Why aren't you giving him your very best? Why haven't you relied on him? Now, God's power is powerful enough to use you no matter who you are. If you are available and you are saved, God chose you. God was not stuck with you because all the famous people would not believe in him. God chose you for his service. He intentionally did that. So God has designed it all that way so that there's not one single person, not one person who's ever been saved that can say, look what I did. It was me. I was smart. I was talented. I was really the person that God wanted because of all of those things. God chose you for none of that. God chose you in your weakness and he supplies the power. So the question is, when are you going to start giving God the glory? What kind of people can God use? God can use people just like you and just like me. Whenever you are available and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the kind of person that God uses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word here. We're thankful, Lord, that though we are so insignificant, we are so weak, we're nothing in ourselves, and let, yet, Lord, you chose us. You picked us out from all of the world, and you said, this is the one that I'm going to love. This is the one I'm going to show my power through. And, Lord, help us just to better understand that. We can't glory in ourselves. All the glory belongs to you. Would you bless in this time of invitation? Speak to some heart that needs to know you as Savior but also speak to Christians here today, those who have made excuses for not serving you. We can serve you because you supply the power. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.